Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook. And the delight that is the former Benfica, Chelsea, West Ham, Charlton and Rotherham left back, the one and only Scott Minto. Here's what's coming up on the show. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on, but that's on top of a really poor start to the season. Let's just go purely football. Let's not talk about the Anthony situation. Let's not talk about the sport. Just put them to one side, the Sancho one as well. Manchester United have played four games in the league and I think they've been lucky to get six points. I think Liverpool will benefit from not having to play in the Champions League. I'm not sure they're going to take the Europa League that seriously. I think their priority will be uh, on the Premier League. And I think, again, you'll accuse me of flip-flopping because I thought Arsenal might be the nearest challengers at the start of the season. I think from what we've seen so far, I think Liverpool could well be the closest contender to City. I think it's positive that Richarlison has been so open and honest and and showed his emotion. Um, But (laughs) the brutal reality is that they've lost Harry Kane. They need someone leading the line up front who's going to score goals. Hello, boys. Okay, everybody has had a a bit of an international break. Uh, I see that Crook is still on his international break. Um, So if he's a little bit uh, slower off the draw today, Scott, don't be surprised um, because I know what he's been up to. As ever, he's he's supporting Portugal more so than England, isn't he? But I, I expect that from him, really. And he's trying to pretend that he's not feeling too well because there's a bug and virus going around. We just talked about water retention, maybe alcohol retention. (laughs) That's what it is. Sweat it out, Crook. Sweat it out. I did go and watch Portugal, as you know, on Monday night. Record win. Bruno Fernandes, absolutely sensational, albeit against Luxembourg. So I've, I've been dipping into the football. <laughs> uh, I'm pleased to, to hear that. Uh, England played very well, didn't they, against Scotland. Uh, get him the Ballon d'Or 2024, Scott. The kid's a superstar. Uh, we've been celebrating him quietly, uh, almost under the radar for a couple of years. We've talked about him a lot on this podcast. But now, listen. He has got obvious potential. He is going to realise it. Let's just say it. He's the saviour of English soccer. He is Jude Bellingham. Right. Let's clip that up. And if for some reason it doesn't happen, lots of people will throw that at you. Look, I've I've spoken about him before and and the the move that he's made going to Dortmund, then to Real Madrid. I'm I'm glad he's not in the Premier League, really, for, for him because he's at the biggest club in the world right now, and he's absolutely bossing it there as well. So multiple Champions League winners have have already realised how good he is, both on and off the pitch. He's making an impact, and he's doing it for for club and country as well. Let's not go too overboard, but he certainly has the potential. Why not? 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 We like to enjoy it. Oh, come on, Sam. Come on. 
Let, let's let, let uh, do you know what? He's probably the one player. I, know, I think there's a few in there. Maybe he's definitely Harry Kane as well. But he's only 20 years of age. But you could throw things at him and he's been able to, you think he'd be able to handle it. On the pitch, as I say, he's brilliant. He's a number eight or number 10. I think ultimately number eight. But the way he played against Scotland was superb. Um, and off the pitch, he looks like he's been a senior pro for, for years and years and years. So I honestly think he can deal with it. But And I honestly think also he could be the difference between where we've come so close to actually winning the Euros. But again, I'm very reticent to try and say it's going to be all down to him. That's it, Scott. That's the kind of optimism that I'm looking for. Um, those of us who have been, uh, you know, pretty sort of positive about England for a while, uh, were pretty here, uh, pretty pleased to hear what the Scots had to say about us uh, this week. And, and people like Alex, you know, negative people like Alex, um, will, will not be pleased to hear that actually uh, some of the senior correspondents, Jonathan Northcross is, is the uh, Sunday Times football correspondent, for example. And he said, you know, it's only when you... You're, you're an opposition fan. And as a Scotsman, he was on um, Tuesday night. You realise just how good, how terrific this England football team are. Graham Sunes calling them the best group of players that England have had since 1966. He said, I've been around this this league. I've been around English football for a very long time. I, I think this is the golden generation. Forget the, the, the Lampard, the Ferdinand, the Gerrard era. This is the golden generation generation. So finally, people are starting to appreciate the English talents, but only because the Scots have told us we have to appreciate them, Scott. Um, so Alex, are you now going, because you, know, you spent a lot of time with, with Scottish people this week. I saw that you were you, you were thinking at one stage of wearing a Scotland shirt because they, you were outnumbered in the pub. Um, just very quickly, because we're going to get to the Premier League. Um, so very quickly, um, are you now all in on Southgate? Uh, no. <laughs> you have to remember this performance came only a few days after we were giving Southgate stick for what happened against Ukraine. I was surprised by the gap in class. I guess I shouldn't have been, but just you look at Scotland's qualifying group, the fact they beat Spain. I thought they were really poor, but you're right. It was it was hard not to come away waxing lyrical about Jude Bellingham, who I think might just be the greatest English talent of my generation. Um, I put that on social media after the game. A few people came back with Gaza and Skulls and... Lampard and Gerrard, but I think he has the ability and the mentality to go and eclipse all of those. So, yeah, I think, listen, it's an exciting group of players. Is Gareth Southgate the manager to deliver a trophy? I'm still reserving judgment on that. He's gone big, Scott. He's gone big. We like that. Let's go big as well because international football will be back in a month's time. But between now and then, it's All Access Premier League. Brentford. 
good. Comes to Billing, joining late, and he pops it in, and Bournemouth have the lead. He's still going Sterling. It's a brilliant goal for Chelsea. And Juma is there, and an equaliser is tapped in. In front of the Everton fans, away to our left-hand side. Jesus is through in goal. He's left a defender on his backside, and he scored for Arsenal. You just know that the beauty of the Premier League is that you never give up hope, you never lose belief. And what a week it is on TalkSport from 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon on TalkSport 2. We'll be bringing you live commentary of Manchester United against Brighton. And Crookie, uh, the latest turbulent week for Manchester United. Uh, Director of Football John Murtagh, uh, CEO Richard Arnold now intervening in the Jadon Sancho-Eric Ten Hag dispute. Um, does that undermine Ten Hag's authority? Uh, not necessarily. Uh, I think the fact that Sancho has finally taken down that tweet that he had pinned on social media suggests that actually Ten Hag is, is probably going to come out on top in this particular battle. But this is a nightmare fixture for Manchester United. When you look at the start to the season, you look at the issues they've had during the international break, not just with Sancho, but with Anthony uh, as well. Obviously, Maguire um, had his own problems when he came on against Scotland and might well have to start this game. What you don't want is a, a Roberto De Zerbi team lying in your wake because you know they're not going to give you a minute's piece. I think this this could get worse for Manchester United before it gets better on Saturday afternoon. Well, the, the Maguire situation, I think he'll be OK. He's already come out and said he's quite happy to deal with the banter that comes his way. He can deal with the pressure. I, I thought he did very well when he came on the pitch against uh, Scotland, apart from the inadvertent flick for the goal. But, you know, he was well backed by... Uh, the England supporters, which I thought was great. Um, he's right, though, isn't he, Scott? You've got the Sancho situation, the Anthony situation. Even Eric Ten Hag not happy about Anana going back and playing international football for Cameroon, which is going to cause him a headache uh, further down the line. Um, and not only is this a huge fixture against Brighton, but they've got Bayern next week in the Champions League away from home. Is this the biggest week of Eric Ten Hag's Old Trafford career to date? I, I think it's one of the biggest weeks in, in Crookie's career to date, the way he just held his uh, head in his <laughs> hands there. Now, look, um, obviously there's a lot of things going on, but that's on top of a really poor start to the season. Let's just go purely football. Let, let's not talk about the Anthony situation. Let's not talk about this or just put them to one side, the Sancho one as well. Manchester United have played four games in the league and I think they've been lucky to get six points. You know, they were they were shocking against Wolves, very lucky there. Um, and obviously they've come off the back of the international break or off a defeat, where to be fair, you know, they, they, they could have won if that offside goal hadn't been given offside, but it was. And the style of football going to Arsenal was just literally keep the ball in your own half. Football-wise, I don't see any kind of positives for United at the moment. Added to the fact of what's happened with Anthony, added to the fact of what's happened with Sancho as well. I think this is an absolutely massive week. And I agree with Crookie. Brighton at home, where everyone's expecting a home game off the back of the international break, but everyone's been travelling and they're tired. That's the last game you want right now. I, I can see this not just being a draw, but maybe even an away win. Well, almost like they were preparing the groundwork. Manchester United uh, posted on Instagram yesterday very hot and sweaty pictures of uh, palistry training with inspirational quotes about mentality and, and, and winning and desire and this sort of idea that if you're an attacker, you also have to track back and do the defensive work. Uh, maybe they're trying to tell us something. I don't know. Uh, but um, let's focus on the positives, Crook, because a win would change the mood here, wouldn't it? You know, there's a low mood around Old Trafford at this moment in time. But if you beat Brighton, that's absolutely huge. And there are some positive signs. Amrabat should be available. Mount might be available. Very soon, 
Varane will be available. Martinez might be available. Hoyland can start this week. So, yes, there are problems. There are lots of them. And Eric Ten Hag knows all about them and so do the Manchester United fans. But if you harness the positives, new players coming into the team, and if you did get a victory this weekend, you'll be buzzing. There were a lot of mites and ifs in, in that uh, question there, Sam. <laughs> Do you know the one that uh, the, the one that wasn't an if though was Hoyland, and as you know, I, coming away from that Arsenal game, I wasn't as pessimistic probably as I've come across this morning because I thought his cameo uh, against Arsenal was really exciting. I hope he starts the game. You think he would? He came through unscathed for his country over the course of the international break. And you're right, if they could beat Brighton, and it's a massive week for Brighton as well, by the way, their first ever European game. I'll be there on Thursday night as they take on AEK Athens. If they could beat Brighton, I think it would send out a statement maybe that all is not quite as bad as it's been made out. And when you list those players, I am confident that when everybody is fit, United do have a squad capable of competing right at the top of the table. Yeah, the reboot, the Eric Ten Hag Manchester United 2023-24 reboot is very different to what we saw last year. But maybe their best tactic in this game, Scott, is to go back to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer tactics, sit back and counter-attack against Brighton. Look, I, do you know what? I think you're right, Sam. I think I think sometimes, despite being at home, and let's face it, United did have a really poor away record against the, the top teams last season, but a very good home record. Uh, last season but I think sometimes it's horses for courses and as much as the fans want to see you go on the front foot and really try and attack and we're at home we're Manchester United this is a Brighton side that can embarrass you whether you're playing home or away you know so just ask Newcastle on that one so you'd have to be very very careful how they play and I, I think I think the sort of transition, I think the midfield has been the biggest problem for United so far, but not the only problem. And how open they've been, I think Wolves showed that. So if they play like they did against Wolves, you know, Brighton will open them up. So I totally agree with you in terms of the way they've got to do it. They've got to be very patient and very clever. Um, Evan Ferguson, hat-trick last time out, didn't play for Ireland because of a knee injury. No Nciso, Ansu Fati might be available to make his debut this weekend, but that'll probably be off the bench. But all the talk probably should be about Lewis Dunk down at Brighton, who was excellent, I thought, in midweek uh, for England. I did a, a little video earlier in the in the week where I said that he was, I think, the best English centre-half available at this moment in time. Obviously, Stone's injured uh, at, at present. Um, I thought he lived up to the billing. I thought he was terrific. Yeah, he was. Um, I tweeted about him as well. I think there's a bit of snobbery attached to Lewis Dunk, A, because he's a Brighton player and he's been there for his whole career, so he's not a sexy name. But B, he's sort of tarred with this brush of, brush of being a, a throwback defender, someone, you know, head the ball away, centre-half, which he can do. But he's more cultured than that. He can play out from the back. The, the way that he chested it back to, to Ramsdale under pressure, I think, you know, gave you a little snapshot, really, of, of just how composed he is. And he's one of those who's really improved under Roberto De Zerbi. I think he deserved to win many more caps than the two that he's amassed so far. And I think if he keeps performing as he did in midweek, I think he's got every chance of being not just on the plane for the Euros, but maybe even being a starter. Sam, just off the back of that, I, I totally agree with you, well, with, with both of you. And I, I think with John Stones being injured, he would be my person to partner Harry Maguire. I think you still need the experience of a Harry Maguire, though he needs to be playing soon first in football. And, and Roberto De Zerbi, when he first came in, I, I know for a fact that he wanted to play out the ball out from the back even more than they did under Graham Potter. And he was really surprised and pleasantly you know, happy 
that Lewis Dunk was such a good ball player. I think he's that good he could play as a holding midfielder, but I thought he did a great job for England and he would be sort of my, if Stones and Maguire, one of those was injured, he would be my one guy to step up into that team. Okay, it's going to be a, a massive weekend for Manchester United, a massive week for Manchester United. A crookie may well need to have another international break to drown his sorrows by the time we get uh, to next midweek. Uh, let's get to the rest of Saturday. And uh, now starting with the two sides that are fighting it out at the top of the Premier League table. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on talk sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Two points separate these two teams at the top of the Premier League table, West Ham and Manchester City that kick off at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Quite a few games at Saturday, three o'clock this week. Um, how much chance do we give West Ham here? Scott as an optimistic former hammer against a Manchester City team who we often talk about them being slow starters. But even if they have had a slow start this season, their points total doesn't reflect that. Yeah, I wouldn't say they've had a slow start as yet. But again, I, th- I think this is where I talked about the sort of off the back of the September break up until Christmas, where all the games kick in and the weather's starting to turn a little bit, where just if there is going to be a chink in their armour that we're all kind of looking for, then then that might be it. And if they get through this period, then they could win it by 10 plus points. Look, I think this is going to be a difficult game for City. I really do. I think West Ham have done superb so far points wise to to hang in there in some games. I'm thinking particularly of the Chelsea game and, and come out with all three points. You know, they got went to Luton, not easy there. Their first home game at Kenilworth Road in the Premier League year and yet come away with a win. I think it was a really important start for David Moyes. You know, let's not forget he won the Europa. He won a European trophy and yet his contract wasn't renewed and he's still now in his last year of his contract. So if they hadn't have gone well and they've got Manchester City and Liverpool up next in the league, then, you know, it could have been very, very difficult for him in this early part. But because of that start, I think they can come off the back of the international break and say, look, we know that Pep Guardiola will 
you know, be looking to see who's the fittest rather than who's the best and who's the least tired. So this is a perfect time for West Ham if they are to get something out of Man City uh, straight off the back of the break. David Moyes did a number on Roberto De Zerbi and Brighton a couple of weeks ago, Crook. I mean, will it be a similar sort of template to follow for this game going into the match? With, you know, I'm quite happy to have 22% possession and with the odd border raid to try and inflict some damage every now and again on Manchester City. Yeah, I think that will be the game plan. It's not just uh, in that Brighton game they did that. We were at the, uh, well, I was at the Chelsea game as well. And again, Chelsea dominated possession, created the bulk of the chances. But West Ham, content to sit back, soak up the pressure and hit on the counter-attack. It's the way that David Moyes has preferred to play at West Ham. It's not always winning many plaudits with the fans, but it's certainly won them a lot of points so far this season. Will they be good enough to pull it off against Manchester City? I'm not convinced. I would still expect City's quality to come through. But yeah, I think we can predict the, the pattern of the game for sure. Yeah, and uh, they were a little bit fortunate in that game against Brighton, actually, to come away with all three points. Because although Brighton um, did, didn't have as many great chances as they usually do, they still had chances on the counter-attack. And actually, West Ham were really ruthless with their chances. I think they had five shots on goal and scored four of them or something like that. Um, so... They might need a little bit of extra luck against the Manchester City side, who certainly are ruthless, do score a lot of goals, um, and are quite good defensively as well. They're the only side in the league with a 100% record, uh, but they do have their injury doubts as well. And There's no De Bruyne, obviously. Grealish, Stones, Kovacic, all doubts after the international break. Um, Phil Foden, who had a, a productive week, I think. It was in the headlines quite a bit. Gareth Southgate sort of dismissing talk of him playing as the the number 10 played him on the right-hand side. I thought he did quite well in the game against Scotland. He's just got such balletic touch, hasn't he, of the football, the way he sort of deftly brings the ball under control. I do love watching him, especially when he's in full flow. Um, and Calvin Phillips, who is another one of Southgate's favourite players, I thought he was very good in the game against uh, Scotland, bearing in mind he hasn't played much football. And he does bring balance to that team, doesn't he? Because he does... He does the dirty work. He does the break-up work. He, I thought he was unlucky to be booked, to be honest. Yeah, first of all, is Pep back um, after his back operation? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Is, 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 is but... Pep's back back? That's the question, <laughs> isn't it? Is Pep's back back back? I think um, he might be because Man City tweeted yeah. on Thursday morning a sort of waving picture of Guardiola. So I think that was a sort of indication that he will be back in the dugout. Okay. Well, yeah. well, does that make a massive difference? Because it hasn't really hampered them up until this point. No, but I think it does. I think when you've got someone like him in the dressing room um, before the game, the aura that he's got at halftime, you know, actually being there rather than, I don't know how they've been doing it, FaceTime or whatever. But um, it, it, I, I know think he, he's great. He's, he's, he's so intense, though, isn't he? And, and I wonder, actually, Scott, if actually the reason they've started so well is because he's not there and they've just had a little <laughs> bit of a break, you know? Well, they did okay last season when he was there, didn't they? They had a pretty decent yeah, season. Yeah, I think so they're, they're, okay. Would, they're okay. They're okay. They're okay. Yeah. So I would suggest that they'd probably prefer him to be there. But again, it's such a well-oiled machine that whether he's there or whether he's not, and I'm talking about for a short term, they can still go ahead and do the business. But you want him there. Look, this game is about Man City. If Man City play to their best and they've got their players are firing, they can beat anyone in the world. They, they will beat anyone in the world. But West Ham showed against Brighton, you know, that, and, and you're right, Sam, 22% possession they had, but they still had 12 shots and seven on target. So that what they've been is they've got to be clinical. They've got to make sure that Antonio is on fire like he has been. Ward-Prowse 
is able to get forward, but also help Alvarez in terms of the, the back four and the defending. Pakatan needs to be given his moments in the game as well. And of course, he'll be looking forward to this game, wouldn't he? He'd be thinking he would be wearing the Man City shirt if uh, allegations hadn't have cropped up. So, look, I think West Ham are in a really good place right now, but ultimately it's about City. As Crookie says, we know how the game's going to go in terms of the styles. It's down to City as to how clinical they'll be, I think. Uh, yeah, and just remember, Manchester City fans, it was very tongue-in-cheek about Pep. You don't need to tweet me about it. Um, <laughs> I know he's a genius. He's just... A, He's just, he is intense. He is, he is an intense guy. Uh, talking of intense guys, um, Crook, how's the hangover going? Um, we're sort of like 20 minutes into the podcast now. You've <laughs> probably gone through about three bottles of water during that time. Where are we on the level, on the hangover meter? Where are we? You are casting aspersions. It's not a hangover. <laughs> well, we can, we, can, we can see you on the screen glugging water like it's going out of fashion. I'm sat like in the sunshine. A... You have to stay hydrated. You know that. Come on. <laughs> to be fair, Stan, it... we have been on a night out with him before. He can drink, and he's one of those who probably doesn't get a hangover. But that's not to say he didn't drink last night. He just doesn't have a hangover. Let me tell you, as someone who has shared a bed with him on many occasions, Scott, that is not true. His version <laughs> of a hangover is very visible. Uh, that is all I'm going to say. Uh, let's move on. Wolverhampton Wanderers against Liverpool is live on Talk Sport uh, this lunchtime, this Saturday lunchtime at 12.30. First game of the weekend, Crook, live on Talk Sport. How long is it going to take for Jurgen Klopp to first raise the disgraceful disregard for all of his players' welfare that this game is scheduled at 12.30 on a Saturday? Well, that might just depend on the outcome. Uh, but you're right, he won't be happy that Liverpool have, uh, have got top billing, if you like, early kickoff after the international break. Um, and, and maybe maybe a difficult game because we've seen from Wolves in patches this season, certainly against uh, Manchester United, that they are a, a dangerous side. I think their XG, and I know you're a, a master of XG, probably is a lot higher um, than the amount of goals that they've scored. And Liverpool, I think defensively, still give you an opportunity. So I'm looking forward to this. I think it will be uh, a more open game and a closer game than maybe a lot of people will be expecting. Wolves XG going forward uh, doesn't uh, worry me too much because I think they've created quite a few chances, as you say, Crook. But uh, their, their XG defensively was is a little bit of a concern for me. They always seem to concede goals. And if you look back at their Crystal Palace game, and sadly, I watched the whole 90 minutes back the, uh, the other day, and I was looking at what happens to them towards the end of the match where they just lose their shape slightly. Um, and uh, Lamina makes a couple of mistakes in midfield, which allows Eze and Edouard to get away from him. And as a result of that, they end up losing uh, the game. Uh, Liverpool didn't win any of the six Premier League matches that they played on Saturday at 12.30 last season. So you can understand why Jürgen's a little bit grumpy about the fact that he has to do it straight after an international break. Especially, Scott, bearing in mind that Diaz, McAllister, Alisson and Nunez have all been in South America. Um, but I wonder whether or not his attitude towards the, the fixture kickoff time actually permeates into the dressing room. It depends. I think if he's saying that regularly in the dressing room, then then it will. And the last thing you want to be doing is giving your players consciously or subconsciously a reason, a reason to, as to why you might not play particularly well. I mean, were all those six ones uh, lunchtime kickoffs straight after an international break? So if they weren't, then he can't no. moan about it. You know, he can have a little grumble up. No, just before the game if he wants to, because yeah, to be fair, there's a lot of South Americans in the side, and perhaps he won't risk them. But Again, with all due respect, mate, from 12.30 to 3 o'clock, 
there's not much difference there, really, is there? So, look, I think he'd be talking about wanting a Sunday or even a Monday game, but it is what it is. Deal with it. You're you're one of the biggest clubs in the world. You're trying to chase titles. You're coming back from what was a really poor season last season. And actually, you started the season really well. So why start on a negative after this international break? I, I'm, I can't tell Jurgen Klopp what to do, but I'm pretty sure he'd be positive all the way while just chucking in that little negative thing, I'm sure, pre-match. Um, are Liverpool title contenders? Are they more of a title contender than, say, Arsenal or uh, Tottenham, who are currently second in the Premier League, for example? I think they probably are. Um, certainly more than Tottenham. We're going to come on to them, but I think they've had a, a really serene start to the season in terms of the teams they've faced. I think Arsenal are still working out and still gelling as a team, working out how to implement their new signings to the best of their ability. I think Liverpool will benefit from not having to play in the Champions League. I'm not sure they're going to take the Europa League that seriously. I think their priority will be uh, on the Premier League. And I think, again, you'll accuse me of flip-flopping because I thought Arsenal might be the nearest challengers at the start of the season. I think from what we've seen so far, I think Liverpool could well be the closest contender to City. You've got to stick to your guns for a little bit longer than four weeks, surely. I mean, even even I, and I, I tip Manchester United to be the closest challengers um, to Manchester City this year. Even I, I've still stuck with whoa, 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 right? whoa, whoa, whoa. Sam, Even Sam, though I know that that's now a forlorn task. I've sort of sat there and gone, right, well, you've said it now, so you've got to stick with it. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I know now that's total and utter rubbish. But ultimately, I, I'm, I've got to stick with it, right? Uh, Crooks changed his mind four times. And then at the end of the season, he said, oh, I told you. Told you that they'd be the closest challenges. <laughs> well, yeah, of course you did. Because you told us every team in the league was going to be closest <laughs> challenges apart from Luton. So, so you're bound to get it right at some stage. I tweeted about that. Yeah, well, no, you tweet every three seconds. That's why no one talks to you outside of work. Um, <laughs> potential debut for uh, Ryan Gravenberch in this game. He skipped international duty as a result of uh, joining Liverpool. He wanted to get settled in the area, which will go down well with the Liverpool faithful. Uh, it's good that he's knuckled down and wants to get involved. Um, talk to me about Virgil van Dijk, uh, Scott, because he's got the extra game suspension for mouthing off at John Brooks at Newcastle. Uh, he accepted it, and I read his, his sort of response to it, and he was sort of, you know, it's the first time I've been sent off since I've been at Liverpool. I did go over the top. I did do the things that I wasn't supposed to do. I can't argue about it, which is why I think he only got one game extra uh, at the end of, uh, added on to his initial suspension. I think, and I was talking to a Liverpool fan about this this week, he's clearly lost a yard. His injury that he sustained in the Merseyside derby a couple of years ago has affected him physically. He can no longer sort of allow things to happen and then cruise up alongside them and then just deal with them. He needs to sort of now react almost before they happen, a little bit earlier. And he did look shaky up against Adam Ider of um, of Ireland earlier in the in the week. Stories of his declining powers, are they overplayed? Has he got the chance to recover that? Or is it a new adaptation to the way he approaches football that needs to be in place here for Virgil van Dijk? Look, you're absolutely right to say that he's not quite that Rolls-Royce that he was before the injury. And and you, you do have to then, when you just rely on that absolute pace, and, you know, Carl Walker's kind of got that, you know, he's like, Kylian Mbappe, yeah, go on, I'll show you the line. I mean, there's no other fullback in world football that would dare do something like that. But Van Dijk used to be able to that. And now he has to, you're right. He has to read situations perhaps a little bit better. And and if he feels, because I think he, he his mindset on that tackle where he did get sent off was the Van Dijk of old. I'll still beat you in the race. Yeah. And, he, and then he realised he wasn't going to and, and came through Isaac. So, 
No, look, declining powers as a bit dramatic, but he's not quite the athlete that he was. Does he have the chance to to, to get back up to the level and be one of the best centre backs in the world? Absolutely. Did he overreact? Yes. Um, I, I still think it's it's down to him mentally. I think last year he couldn't deal with the fact of he wasn't quite the athlete that he was before. This year I have seen an improvement despite that mistake at at St. James's Park. And and I think he'll learn from that. I still think he's capable of being one of the best around. What are we expecting from Wolverhampton Wanderers this weekend, Crook? Because I mentioned that I rewatched them against Crystal Palace. I mean, I think you've got to start Huang and Kalaidzic. They're the only real goal threats. Um, but they are so defensively fallible. Brighton Palace, even Manchester United took advantage of that. You know, I mean, United scored one goal in their game against them. And they had nothing in the match before that. But one mistake, one moment where they switched off walls and they were punished for it. And Liverpool have got threats all over the pitch going forward. Yeah, it's an issue. Um, as I say, as, as much as actually I think going forward, they've looked pretty good under Gary O'Neill. Defensively, they can see too many opportunities. Difficult to do that and expect to pick up any points from the game against a team with the attacking talent that Liverpool had. Obviously, they signed uh, Jean Rickner. Bellegarde on uh, transfer deadline day. So you'd expect that maybe he might be in a position to come into the team. I think Kalajic gives a a threat going forward. I still think Fabio Silva's got all the tools, apart from the finish, um, to stretch this Liverpool back line. Maybe he's been doing some extra shooting practice during the international break. But we spoke to Gary O'Neill, Scott and myself, on the Saturday session last weekend. And he was quite honest. He said that obviously it's been a whirlwind summer for him, going from being on the beach here in Portugal, actually, to all of a sudden being back in a Premier League job a lot sooner than he expected. And I think he was saying to us that he's still trying to get his ideas and his principles across. But what he's been encouraged by is how much the players have really invested into those ideas. So he seemed quite confident that they can have a better season than many people are predicting. Now, when you say Fabio Silva has all of the tools, is that a little bit like a bank robber that walks into a bank, gets up to the vault and goes, hmm, now, how do I open this? <laughs> yeah, he's he's lacking that that crucial finish, uh, which which you sort that, of need. If you're in a the words of Roy Keane, that's his job. <laughs> <laughs> but surely you can work on that. You know, you, as a striker, surely you can improve on those one-on-one situations. I mean, to be fair, Benny McCarthy did it with Marcus Rashford last season. He improved his finishing from inside the penalty area. Maybe Wolves need a similar character to come in and help Fabio Silva. Yeah. Um, okay. You never know. All right. That's live on TalkSport at 12.30 on Saturday. Looking forward to that. I'm going to go to uh, Molyneux this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a, a banging atmosphere. That is for sure. Right. Let's get to the rest of Saturday's action. Tottenham against Sheffield United this weekend. And the most popular manager in the Premier League joined Simon and Jim on White and Jordan Earlier in the week, he was quite engaging, I thought, during that chat. Without giving too much away, he was talking about Eves Basuma and how he's sort of transformed his fortunes. He, he sort of said, basically, it was just a very small chat with him. He, he looked at him. He, he'd come in early. He said, you know, you could, you could be our leader. Basuma responded to that and as a result has ended up, uh, you know, it's man management, isn't it? It's just it's worked for him. He's got James Madison in there. He's quite happy about that. It feels he's been booked, uh, backed by uh, Daniel Levy and co. And he actually said, I thought was really interested, uh, was that he he sort of feels proud to be the Tottenham Hotspur manager, which I think Tottenham fans were, were warm to, bearing in mind that Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte looked for a, a large part of their tenures that they were doing Tottenham a favour. But here's a question for you, Scott. Have they been helped 
by a very handy fixture list at the early start of the season. Um, okay, so now you're, you're putting it on me in terms of the fixtures, so I'll, I'll go through it. Obviously, Burnley away. We still don't know what Burnley... We weren't expecting Burnley to be down the bottom, were we, at uh, the start of the season come, or when we predicted the start of the season for the end of the season. I think the amount of changes they've got there, they could. But that's still a very, very good win, you have to say. Bournemouth, yes. Thought Man U, second half, they stepped it up. And Brentford away is not an easy uh, tie. Yeah, yeah. look, you know, that's not the most difficult. I, I think it's um, th- it's more than that. Obviously, after the Sheffield United game, they've got Arsenal and Liverpool. So, that, I mean, that Arsenal game in particular, obviously, is going to be a, a massive one. So, this is probably the perfect game one. off the back. Yeah, can't wait for that one. You know, off the back of an international break, you'd like a, a home game against a team that's, that's not great. And let's face it, Sheffield United will probably go down this year, unfortunately, or this season. So, yeah, they've been quite lucky. But the bottom line is, mate, they, they've had made a lot of improvements. I think Madison coming in has done really well. I think if Harry Kane was there, then I'll tell you what, I'd fancy them for top four. I really would. I think he's made that much of a difference. And he's improving the players that were already there. And you're right, it's about man management. So he's a popular guy. I mentioned about, you know, Aussies are normally likeable but they don't mess around as well. So he's got that that great sort of balance between, I'm not going to liken him to Pep Guardiola as such, but you don't mess with him. But he looks mm. like he'd be a good person to play under. Yeah. Um, did you call me mate because you sort of got drawn into the Ange sort of cult thing there? Did you, yeah, mate. You don't usually do that. Okay, mate. Um, uh, on air. Richarlison um, has obviously been the one that everyone thought was going to fill the boots of Harry Kane. It hasn't quite happened for him. We know a little bit more now about why that might be the case, Crook, because he was in tears on international duty. He's quite an emotional guy anyway, right? Um, so I did hit the, the Champions League game when he scored against uh, Marseille. He scored two goals in that game at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And he, he was very emotional that day as well. Um, but um, whilst on international duty for Brazil, came off and visibly was in tears. Um, he says he's going to see a psychologist because there's been a lot of things that have been going on in his private life that have really affected his football. That gives us a little bit of more of a window into the sort of understanding why he hasn't flourished at Spurs. Yeah, and I think that's something that we're all guilty of at times when we judge a player. And, you know, I'm probably as harsh a judge on players as anybody that we don't necessarily take into account what could be happening off the pitch. So I think it's positive that Richarlison has been so open and honest and and showed his emotion. Um, But... The brutal reality is that they've lost Harry Kane. They need someone leading the line up front who's going to score goals on a regular basis. And he struggled to do that. Obviously, Son was played in a more advanced position in the last game. So I'd imagine that will continue. And I think he'll probably um, be the first change that a lot of us make in our fantasy league team this weekend because Spurs are going to win the game comfortably. And you'd imagine Son's going to have a big part to play. Whether Richarlison does, I think he's open to debate. Newcastle against Brentford. Been a very tough start for Eddie Howe. When you look at the fixtures that they've had, uh, bearing in mind they've had to play Liverpool at home. They've uh, gone away to Manchester City. They've played Aston Villa, who many people think are going to be dark horses uh, this season. It hasn't been the easiest uh, run for them up until this point. Uh, But is this the first game that you've looked at and you thought, hey, they've got to win this one. They should be winning this one if they want to be contenders, Scott. Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, if you look at the month of September, you know, they've got Brentford, obviously got that fantastic game in at the San Siro, haven't they, in the Champions League? So great to see them playing that. And then the Sheff- 
live on TalkSport. Sheffield United, the City again in the in the Carabao Cup and Burnley. So in terms of the league games, I think you have Brentford, Sheffield United and Burnley. You know, these are games where you need to be picking up at the very least seven out of nine points. But you asked me about Spurs and did they have they had it easy and, and on paper, yes. And have Newcastle had it tough and on paper, yes. But you still come out with better results than what they've come out with. I actually thought they were by far and away the better side against Liverpool. And yet, mm. Darwin Nunez just tore them apart when he came off the bench. So I like the culture that Eddie Howe is creating. I think at St James's Park, there won't be many teams that will go there and get all three points. But in terms of, you know, finding a way to win, I think in, purely in the league anyway, I think they've got a really good month coming up. Uh, OK, on Sunday now, starting at Goodison Park, where there could be a chance well, of a change at the Toffees at last. So be careful what you wish for. Everton against Arsenal is Sunday afternoon. Now, there's a terrific uh, article in uh, the, the website Josimar Football where our good pal Philippe Auclair uh, has given incredible detail about the backstory of Josh Wander and Stephen Pascoe, who are the co-founders of 777 Partners. It's, it's worth, a, especially if you're an Everton fan, it's definitely worth a read. They're also the owners of Hertha Berlin, which is why I spent a lot of time last year reading about it. Um, in their first season in charge of the mighty Hertha Berlin, we got relegated, which wasn't great. Um, Crook, how close is this deal? And will they pass the uh, owners and directors test? I think it's close in terms of an agreement with uh, Farhad Mashiri, but I think it's going to take a, a long time for the Premier League to grant them permission to complete the takeover. Obviously, I was quite close to the Bournemouth situation when Bill Foley uh, was trying to, to come in there and he was surprised, having purchased sports franchise in the States, at how rigorous this beefed-up test is now. He was even having, having to present documents from his army days uh, as a teenager and it took a lot longer than he anticipated. So I don't think this is going to happen overnight. May not even happen in time for the January transfer window. And like you, Sam, I've done a bit of research into this. I've, I've been speaking to other Premier League CEOs who are familiar with 777 Sports. And I've got to say, the feedback isn't that positive. And I think Everton fans, as much as they want to see the back of Mashiri, because clearly that ownership re regime hasn't worked out for them, I think sometimes it's better the devil you know. You've mentioned their record at other clubs. I think just about every club they're involved in, the fans have been protesting against them. And in terms of passing this fit and proper person's test, they have been accused, some of the people right at the top of the organisation, of fraud. Obviously, they've denied those allegations, but that might just be enough to put the Premier League off and for them to put a stop to this. Well, uh, listen, I'm sure 777 partners will tell us they want to make all of these clubs successful and that we've all made mistakes in the past as well. And, you know, if there's nothing illegal or uh, uh, nothing proven, then they will surely suggest that they are quite happy to be and should be considered to be custodians of Everton Football Club. But just for a little bit of context, Vasco da Gama, one of the biggest clubs in Brazil, I think we, we know them, I think we've all heard of them, um, were relegated on their watch. Genoa, relegated and then promoted recently back to Serie A. Hertha Berlin, I've already mentioned, relegated. Sevilla, Sevilla, they own Sevilla. They're bottom of La Liga. Just put that in context for a second. Sevilla are bottom of La Liga as we speak right now. Melbourne Victory are the only Australian club to have won four major trophies in the modern Aussie football era. All of the four major trophies in the, in, in the current uh, era of Australian football. Last season, they're owned by 7-7 seven, seven partners. 
They finished 11th out of 12 in the A-League. The track record is not great, is it, Scott? And, and if you've got a track record like that, then I can understand why Everton fans who are desperate to, to move Mashiri on, desperate to clutch any sort of straw in order to get their club improved, would be a little bit sceptical about this takeover. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the fact that Mashiri is not necessarily the problem that he hasn't spent the money, it's just that he, he spent it really badly. And I think his heart has been the right in the right place in, in that sense. I mean, it's it's hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds that he's wasted of his own money. I think I heard the other day up to £700 million they'll be out, you know, whether it's him or whether it's someone else who was banking it. Do, do fans have any? Do fans have any choice at all? Because you, you're you're no. painting a really horrible picture there, where actually there's a there's a lot of owners now who are just looking to try and take over a club, not necessarily strip it, but not give it exactly what it needs. And if it goes down, they they don't really care. They'll either carry on or or they'll just try and sell themselves. I think Everton fans deserve better, and it is a question of be careful what you wish for, because there's obviously a lot of fans who are not happy, and rightly so, to see where Everton, where they are under the Mashiri watch. But at least you've got an owner who has put his hand in his pocket and spent it and seemingly cared, just just got it wrong. This is very worrying for the medium and, and long term. And, and that's the issue, isn't it? You know, the fans don't have a, a choice in this matter. They they can protest, as they have been doing. They can They can try to influence proceedings, but they don't have a voice. They don't have any chance of vetoing this ownership going going through or changing the, the scenario, which is, you know, it is one of those things that the, the independent football regulator, when it does come in, needs to sort of address that there needs to be a greater level of fan influence. Even if it, I'm not saying that fans should decide what happens and, and where clubs should go, because we've all been fans and we've all got these hearts that tell us we should be doing this when really business-wise we should not be doing this, we should be doing that. But, there should be sort of consideration given to the feeling of the, the supporters. Um, and, I, and I hope that that is something that they, that they look at going forward when that independent regulator comes in. Um, on the pitch, they're still winless. Um, they're taking on Arsenal, who are you know, very good, even if they're not at their, at their best. They beat Manchester United when they uh, clicked into gear in the second half of, of that match, the late part of that game. Um, this, could be, this could be a thrashing, couldn't it, Crook? Yeah, I've certainly got it down as a comfortable away win. Uh, but if you look at Arsenal's record at Goodison Park in recent seasons, it, it isn't brilliant. So I think that will probably give Everton a little bit of hope. But I just don't think the Everton team is is good enough. Obviously, Beto uh, made an impact in that uh, in that EFL Cup game. I think Dan Juma... And in the Sheffield United game, to be fair. He played well in the Sheffield United game. He's running off the ball, his hold-up play. The way he linked with the other forwards, I thought, was was impressive. Yeah, and I think Dan Juma has shown flashes uh, as well. I think there is a player in there. I think he's very focused to, uh, you know, to prove himself in the Premier League. So actually, going forward, and again, Arsenal's record in terms of clean sheets in the recent weeks and months, going back to last season, isn't great. I think they can pose a threat, but defensively, I think Arsenal are going to have far too much going forward. So yeah, I think Arsenal will win this game. They're going to end their their recent poor record at Goodison Park. Indeed. Um, Gabriel Jesus, uh, now fit, might well be able to return. Eddie Nketiah may have to go back to the bench where he spent most of his time uh, for England this week. Uh, a lot of people said, well, you know, why did you call him up if you're not going to use him? Well, they did it with Ivan Tony as well, didn't they? It's sort of like, you know, come into the squad, get a feel of what it's like, be a part of it, and then let's see. And then next time you come along, we might get you on the pitch. Well, you know, It's not easy to get an England cap anymore, you know. 
Um, Aaron Ramsdale did start for England and that was the first time that he'd played for England for a little while. Um, he's got competition as well, isn't he, from David Raya. Um, what do you suspect that that dynamic, how's that going to play out, Scott? Because we've talked a lot about not having two number ones. Yeah. And Sam, I'm absolutely fascinating. Almost, I can't think off the top of my head any any other team selection or, or player selection that I'm most intrigued about this weekend. Because weren't you talking about before the break that you'd heard that you know David Ray is going to be get perhaps not just a, a run of games but a prolonged run of games? If that's the case, I'm I'm really really surprised here. And look, I, I think Sean Dyche should be looking at this game thinking. We did them last year. We can do them again. We're off the back of the international break. We talked about how difficult that is for the, the big boys. They want to be playing at home, not away from home. So I think Sean Dyche will certainly try to make things difficult, keep it tight, set pieces. I don't see this being a really comfortable Arsenal win. I don't. I think they'll win, but I think they'll only win by the odd goal. But in terms of David Ray or Aaron Ramsdale, I personally didn't see the point of bringing David Ray in. I personally would keep Aaron Ramsdale in. But I'm fascinated to see what's the point of bringing Raya in if you're not going to play him at some point. Um, yes, Crook has pointed out the bad record that uh, Arsenal have got at Everton. They lost 1-0 there last year, as you've just said, Scott. Uh, Everton beat them 2-1 the year before. The year before that, Everton beat them 2-1. The year before that was 0-0. The year before that, Everton beat them 1-0. Um, Arsenal's last victory there was October 2017. Um, Meza Ertzel scored in that game, it was so long ago. Do you think that Mikel Arteta, for the last couple of sessions at London Colony this week, will be playing Zed cars on a big PA <laughs> system around the training pitch just to sort of try and get uh, the uh, the Arsenal players in the mood ahead of this game? Alex, what do you think? <laughs> well, he's done it before, hasn't he? So uh, so why not? What, what I think he should be doing, actually, is teaching his defenders how to uh, how to clear corners and free kicks because I think if you look at those games, that's where a lot of Everton's success has, has come from. So I think defending their own box from set pieces is probably a key message. I just wonder if David Raya might start the Champions League game in midweek. Maybe that might be Mikel Arteta's thinking, but I think that would be very harsh on Aaron Ramsdale having played such a big part in Arsenal getting into the Champions League last season. Can you imagine if you're a Rammers, your old golfing buddy? Um, has he left now? Has he gone back now? Has he, he finished around? Has he done? Um, um, if, if, you know, he's worked so hard to get into the Premier League and be a number one goalkeeper, a big club. He gets them into the Champions League for the first time in a very long time. Let's be honest about it. Arsenal haven't played Champions League football since, I think, 2017. Is that right? Something like that. Anyway, um, and then it comes around that somebody else gets put in, in goal for that match. He'd be really frustrated. Um, talking about teams who have spent a long time outside the Champions League, I'm sure that'll be Chelsea's fate, the way things are going at this moment in time. Uh, they're away to Bournemouth on Sunday. One win so far, three wins in 19. Um, this is crucial, isn't it? This this upcoming period for Poch is really crucial. Uh, listen, not, not for one second am I suggesting that they should change the manager. No matter what happens, that would be a ludicrous thing to do. Uh, let him get on with his work. It is going to take some time. He's got a load of teenagers. He's, he's basically, he's almost like he, he's got the nursery team and he's trying to integrate them with the, the, the first you know, couple of years of senior school team and sort of trying to just do our best. You can have a couple of the guys from year seven playing in this sort of, you know, in this nursery group. That, that's what it's like. Uh, Villa at home after this, Fulham away, Burnley away. That Fulham game's live on TalkSport. But this match... This match is trickier than I think it looks on paper. Scott? 
Uh, I've got to go now, Sam. Um, no, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, look, I, 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 what I saw up until that Forest game was a team that actually over the whole ninety minutes were the better side than their opposition. So you know, you're talking Liverpool, West Ham, Luton. Um, I'm not going to count the Wimbledon game because there were lots of changes made. But but you're right. You know, the Forest game was was really poor. Um, Although fair play to them, and and they have looked at times already away from home against the big clubs, very difficult to play against. But this is big, yeah, of course. But it, nothing like you know, I, I like Posh. This is nothing like he should be under pressure or anything. I mean, I I just look at the sort of mentality of the, the recruitment of no one over twenty five, and, and does that mean they missed out on James Madison, or they would have been interested in James Madison, and he's got another three, four, five years left at the very top. I'm all for looking in the long term and the process in adverted commas, but let's worry about the here and now as well. And if you've got too many kids or inexperienced players that are struggling and as foreign players as well, that are struggling to try and make an impact in the Chelsea shirt, doesn't matter what the talent, it's going to be very difficult to do. So yes, this will be a tough game, but honestly, Sam, I, I think I have more faith than most Chelsea fans that I've spoken to. I genuinely believe that the Forest game uh, could could be seen as a blip. I think Chelsea can go here and get a win. It'll be really, really tight. But then you're relying on the players and also Nicholas Jackson to get your scoring boots back on. I like him a lot. I think he's a really good player. Poor game against Forest, but I think he can score here and get a, a very good win for the Blues. I, uh, I I did sit down and watch again, like a, an incredibly sad human being during the international break, the whole 90 minutes of Chelsea against Nottingham Forest. And then... And then sent it to Scott so that he could do the same, just so that we could both moan together. Um, you two now enjoy yourselves, don't you? <laughs> Crook's been on a golf course getting absolutely smashed in Portugal. Me and Scott have been watching bad football matches for the last two weeks. Well, who has the better life? Uh, anyway, just a quick uh, update on the hangover. Where are we now on the hangover meter? Uh, uh, what what bottle of water are we up to? Well, well after your battery failed, which you know the, the, the guys watching and listening won't realise, I, I was able to go and get a, a second black coffee. So all is well. Yeah, he does look a lot better, it. Sam. He does. He does. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. the puffiness the is gone. Start, yeah. <laughs> from the very start, he really didn't look well, and I'm trying to think. Oh, bless him. Maybe it is a virus, but look at him now. <laughs> Clearly, it's not a virus. The hangover yeah. is wearing off. <laughs> The have kicked in and he's Chelsea's fire, hangover needs to wear off. That's been going on for some time, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been going on for far too long. Um, Bournemouth still winless under Iriola. Um, it came very close last time out against Brentford, actually. It was only a last-minute goal that stopped them from getting all three points away from home. Uh, what have you made of their, their first few games? Because you, you've been sort of... I don't, you haven't seen much of them, actually, have you? Have you, you but you've sort of been around the camp. Yeah. I think the start of the season has gone as they predicted. Um, the, the hierarchy knew that August and September would throw up a lot of challenging fixtures. I think they were maybe disappointed not to beat West Ham on the opening weekend of the season, but West Ham had gone on to prove that they're a better side than maybe we anticipated. They were frustrated not to win at Brentford just because they got so close to victory. But actually, if you look at the chances that Brentford created, they probably deserved the point from that game. And I think the players are still adjusting to the change in style, a new voice in the dressing room. Obviously, the signings they've made, one or two of them haven't been able to make an impact due to injury. So I think this was always a long project. I certainly don't think they're going to be alarmed uh, by the results so far. But obviously, if they could pick up a win against one of the big guns in a fixture like this, when maybe Chelsea... Chelsea are very playable, should we say, at this moment in time. That would be uh, an unexpected bonus, I think. 
and, and uh, David Brooks has been one of the uh, one of the success stories uh, of the season so far. Scored in that Brentford game, scored for his country in midweek. I think he's going to have a massive role to play for Bournemouth this season. It's great to see. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, they are very easy to play against. OK, uh, thank you very much to Alex Crook and to Scott Minter. We'll let Crook go and uh, deal with his uh, hangover. Get some Alka-Seltzer down, you fella. You've had enough water. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, Monday morning when you wake up, we'll have a podcast available for you on YouTube reviewing, reviewing all of the Premier League action from the weekend. And remember, you can tune in to TalkSport this weekend for live commentaries from Wolverhampton Wanderers against Liverpool. Manchester United against Brighton and the Sunday session on Sunday brings you all the action from the Premier League and the fallout as well. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.